Tariq Woolen is a unique talent at six foot four with four two six speed, but he's only been playing cornerback for two seasons. Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking down his strengths and weaknesses as he heads into the NFL with the Seahawks on our latest episode of Locked On Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rain. Happy Wednesday to all of our listeners out there. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It may only be mid-May, but it's never too early to start looking at the 53-man roster for the beginning of the season. Rob and I are going to be doing that on the offensive side of the football on today's show. Plus, we're going to be breaking down Tariq Woolen's game, his strengths, his weaknesses, where he fits in with the Seahawks heading into his rookie season as we continue our Inside the Seahawks draft series. Now for your lead story here on our Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. Last week, K.J. Wright told Trey Wingo on the Half Forgotten History podcast that he was hoping to finish his career with the Seahawks and return to Seattle in 2022. Basically, he said it was either Seattle or he was content not playing anywhere else. Didn't want to leave his family behind as he did last year with the Raiders. Going to be 33 years old this summer. That created plenty of speculation. Maybe the Seahawks would bring him back. Pete Carroll kept that door slightly cracked open on Sunday, telling reporters that he had spoken with Wright recently about his future. But just one day later, less than 24 hours later, John Schneider slammed that door shut, telling Bob and Wyman on ESPN 710 that K.J. Wright, if he's going to return to the Seahawks, it would only be in a non-playing capacity. And quite frankly, Rob, I think you and I were anticipating that that was the kind of response that we're going to get from John Schneider here because the fit for K.J. Wright to come back, it just hasn't been there. If they didn't want to bring him back a year ago, it's hard to believe now that they would be bringing him back into the fold to play linebacker next to Jordan Brooks. Yeah, you're uh, absolutely right, Corb. I mean, it is very hard to believe. I mean, not only the fact that K.J. Wright, as you mentioned, is going to be going into his, uh, you know, he's going to be 33. And so an aging player, he's also at his best in a 4-3 alignment. And Seattle is, of course, switching over a little bit more to a 3-4 alignment. And Seattle has a lot of talent at the linebacker position. I mean, they literally used their first round pick a couple of years ago on Jordan Brooks. He winds up setting the 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 franchise record in tackles this past season. Um, clearly, Seattle feels pretty good about the linebacker position. The fact that they had not invested draft in that position this year they they very clearly feel pretty confident in what they have in Cody Barton be able to uh you know kind of promote up in, in, into that starting position the, the two outside linebacker spots are just so much different than they were when KJ Wright was a superstar for the Seahawks they want those outside linebackers to be able to just kind of pin their ears back and rush the quarterback and KJ Wright has shown the ability to do that but he wasn't asked to do that very often um, in the NFL. And at his age, that, that's not something that he is suddenly going to, you know, be able to kind of turn over a new leaf and be a superstar in, in that regard. 
So I think that the fact that Pete Carroll kind of looked at the camera, looked at those who were asking his questions and, and said, yeah, he loves KJ, right? Anybody who has to pay any kind of attention to what number 50 did on and off the field for this franchise. I think they, they also love KJ, right? But to expect that he is going to come back to the Seahawks and actually play, I, I just think is very, very unlikely. And, and so with all due respect to KJ Wright, again, as the man and as the player, I think that that his success in Seattle speaks for itself, that this is a man that deserves to be in the rafters, deserves to be back to the team in, in type of a coaching or analytical position. But I would be stunned if Seattle brought him back in any type of playing position at this point. Yeah, you mentioned the arrival of Cody Barton and how well he played the last two games for Bobby Wagner last year. It's clearly evident based on what Pete Carroll has said, what John Schneider has said, the fact that they made a statement not drafting a linebacker in a really deep uh, draft for the position. All the moves that they have made have suggested that they are content with the group of linebackers that they have right now. And it's worth noting, Ben Burkirvan is back running. So they're going to have him back from an ACL injury he is pretty much 100% recovered from that or should be 100% recovered from that when we get to training camp. John Radigan, from what I've been told, is ahead of schedule. His injury to his knee happened in December, so I thought he probably wouldn't have any chance to be ready for the start of the season, and maybe he still won't, but it sounds like he's got a fighting chance potentially to make it back in that seven- to eight-month range, which would put him in position to be back. So two young linebackers that you have depth-wise – you also brought in Joel Iggy. I'm not going to be able to pronounce his last name from the Chicago Bears. We're just going to call him Iggy as John Schneider does. But uh, uh, I think is how you pronounce it. But anyway, he's been a really good special teams player for the Bears. And Sean Desai, the new associate head coach, is familiar with him. So maybe this is a chance for Iggy to maybe play some snaps on defense, something he didn't do very much with the Chicago Bears. And they got a couple of other young linebackers on their team. Aaron Doncor is still here going to be his second year with the organization and V Jones. I keep bringing the name up, but the undrafted rookie from North Carolina state, he's the one who was wearing number 50 at rookie minicamp this weekend. And other than the fact he's significantly lighter, it almost looked like I was watching KJ Wright out there with the really long arms. I mean, he looked like KJ Wright at 225 pounds out there and he's got great mobility. So that's another name. I keep mentioning it, but keep an eye on it. All those names I just mentioned, you talk about the scheme fit. Again, K.J. Wright is a legend in Seattle lore. He's not going to be a Hall of Famer, but he's one of the best players that's ever played for the Seahawks. Third best tackler in terms of total tackles in franchise history. Has played on some of the most dominant defenses in NFL history. He's a fantastic player, a fantastic man, but there just isn't a spot for him to play for this football team at this point, especially with them being on a youth movement, going into a new era. Pete Carroll and John Schneider are not going to bring back an older player just for sentimental value. They want to win games. They want to get the young guys reps so they can get back in contention as quickly as possible. But that's where the coaching idea comes in. And I think that KJ will at least be open to that possibility if he realizes I'm not going to be able to play here. I'm only going to be able to play somewhere else that I have to leave my family. And this might be the best scenario for him at this point. Hang up the cleats and still be with the organization that you love so much. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he said as much. I mean, he said, and his word was content. He said that he would be content if this is it. Um, you know, his uh, his biggest career goal was to play for uh, 10 seasons in the NFL. And this past season um, with the Las Vegas Raiders was his 11th. Obviously, he won a Super Bowl in Seattle. He qualified for a Pro Bowl. Um, he was, in my opinion, not just looking at the Seahawks, but looking across the entire NFL, one of the truly most underrated all around linebackers in all of the NFL. You asked him to rush the quarterback, he could do that. You asked him to play up close to the line of scrimmage and be able to hold up at the point of attack, be able to shed a block or make tackles at the line of scrimmage, he could do that. He certainly, with his length, his instincts, was able to drop back into coverage, make a lot, a lot of plays in, in that regard as well. He was incredibly durable. As a former day three selection to wind up carving out the NFL career that he had, I know again, Corbin. I think that it's easy to say put him up in the rafters as, as being, you know, somebody who deserves to be in the ring of honor. And I don't say that easily. I, I think that KJ Wright is truly one of the elite players and people that the Seahawks have ever brought onto their team, um, and, and that he deserves all the respect that he is likely to get. But at the same time, I do think that his time as a player for the Seattle Seahawks is now passed. And I think that the Seahawks would be wise to bring him back into any fold, any way that they possibly could. But again, at the same time, I think that the youth movement is absolutely happening. In my conversations with the Seahawks coaches and you know front office staff, it wasn't just the fact that they won a Super Bowl. It was the fact that they won a Super Bowl with the youngest team in NFL history. I think that they take a great deal of pride with that. And the fact that they are having this a little bit of a roster reshuffle, they don't want to call it a, a rebuild. But, you know, let, let's face it, that's a lot of what is going on right now. But I don't think that it makes any kind of sense to go back in time a little bit and go with an older player. They are very much into going with youth. And KG Wright, for everything that he does bring, he does not bring youth. Yeah, it's just the state of the roster. I think if this team was in the position they were in going into last year and they had the linebacker situation and Bobby Wagner wasn't there, they might have strongly considered bringing him back a year ago. But that is not the situation that they are in right now, and they truly are going into a youth movement. So while fans would love to see 50 out there again playing for them, it's most likely not going to happen unless there's some injuries and then suddenly there's a major need. I could see that potentially coming into play, but as things stand, I wouldn't expect to see KJ Wright play any more snaps for the Seattle Seahawks. It's only mid-May, but that doesn't mean it's too early to take a look at Seattle's 53-man roster. So we're going to be checking out the offensive side of the football after the draft, after rookie minicamp, heading into OTAs here in a moment. It's almost summer today. We finally had some sun come out here in the Pacific Northwest, and that means trips, vacations, and you're going to make sure you bring plenty of snacks if you're going hiking or you're going out and checking out the ocean, chilling out at the beach. Make sure that you bring a Built Bar with you. Delicious flavors covered in 100% chocolate. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs, they're absolutely fantastic. It's a Marshmallow on steroids, protein-infused marshmallow, and banana cream pie, my personal favorite, but churro is also another really good flavor. They have other flavors. They all taste delicious. And then they've got the regular Built Bars, too, less than 200 calories, less than five net carbs, less than five grams of sugar, and 17 grams of protein. And those come in delicious flavors, including one of my personal favorites here, cookies and cream. Got to have a nice bite here for the show here. 
got to keep myself energized. Mm. Fantastic. Tastes just like a candy bar, but 17 grams of protein. It doesn't have the calories, doesn't have the net carbs. It's healthy and it tastes delicious. Visit Built.com and use the code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order. Again, that's Built.com. Use the code LOCK15 for 15% off your next order. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. I'm Corbin Smith, mowing down on a Built Bar. With me, as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. All right, Rob, let's talk 53-man roster. Now, we're not going to make projections today. Man, this Built Bar is really delicious. We're not going to talk projections today necessarily, but we are going to take a look at where the roster stands on offense. And without further ado, mid-May, we're only a few months away from training camp. Let's check out where the skill positions lie for the Seahawks. Obviously, the quarterback position, you got Drew Locke, Geno Smith, Jacob Eason. They added undrafted rookie Levi Lewis in the backfield. Some uncertainty about Chris Carson's health, Ken Walker III, Travis Homer, DJ Dallas, Josh Johnson. They've got Rashad Penny back. Receiver looking pretty loaded with Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, D. Eskridge, a couple of seventh rounders and Bo Melton and Dariq Young. Some guys like Penny Hart and Cody Thompson who have played significant snaps for him the last couple of years. And even at tight end, you've got a newcomer in Noah Fant. Will Disley's back. You're still hoping Colby Parkinson can have that breakout year. There's a lot to like on this side of the football. Obviously, some big question marks, most notably, who's going to be your starting quarterback. But at the same time, there is a lot of talent at the skill positions. No, there absolutely is. Uh, and, and yet it's the skill positions that I wanted to focus in on um, our, my early projection here as to who the Seahawks might be looking at as some of the very last players that they might have to cut it when they break that, uh, and, you know, that, that cut down to number 53 overall. That's what you asked me to do here, Corbin. And, and so I'm just going to kind of jump right into it and, and tell you some of the players that I think that Seattle might want to bring back, but at the same time, just recognize that they don't necessarily have the upside to be able to uh, to to warrant keeping on on the 53-man roster i think that you look at that wide receiver position i mean obviously at that at that spot as long as cornerback on the defensive side is going to be the biggest most bloated position the fact that you have two absolute superstars and tyler lockett and dk metcalf you have the early draft pick um a a year ago of course in in d eskridge then those three guys are as locked in as you possibly can get but when you start looking a little bit lower down that depth chart then i i start to wonder about who are these players are going to be able to make that team. And, and I look at the guys that they brought in this year. I, I'm really am intrigued by Bo Melton um, as well as Derek Young. Just the fact that they are very different type of receivers and have the, the physical potential that they possess. I, I think that that might put a couple of other guys who are young, but also not, frankly, quite as athletic as the aforementioned Melton and Young. And so to me, I'm just going to kind of kill two birds with one stone, so to speak here. And that being Kay Johnson and Aaron Fuller, good football players, guys who don't necessarily have elite size, elite speed, elite quickness. Um, and, and so to me, if we're asking me for a couple of guys that are going to be the last players, I think, on the cuts, I think that Kay Johnson and Aaron Fuller, those two wide receivers, are not 
going to make Seattle's roster, but still are going to be good enough players that you're going to wish that they did. Yeah, and I look at that receiver position, and you and I agree that those two, if I had to pick a roster right now, and again, we're not going through a complete projection at this moment, but if I had to, I would see Kate Johnson and Aaron Fuller be on the outside looking in, but I don't view them as the last two that would be out. In fact, I'm going to look at the guys that had some snaps last year because Kate Johnson didn't play in any games, and Aaron Fuller, I believe, dressed maybe for one or two games in the regular season, but didn't get many snaps, but... Cody Thompson dressed for a number of games last year. Penny Hart, for the last couple of years, has played a lot of snaps on special teams, and he got a few more snaps on offense last year. And he's been a player that I've talked up a lot the last couple of seasons. I think he's a great practice player. He does great things on special teams. So I could see Penny Hart sticking on this team again. But I think when you look at the physical tools, you mentioned it. Bo Melton, Dariq Young come in. You're talking guys with 4-3-4 and 4-4-4 speed. And Dariq Young does it at 222 pounds. Bo Melton's not near that big, but he's got the quickness, that explosive home run hitting speed. He can move all over the formation. Those guys can do things with elite athleticism that you're just simply not going to get from Cody Thompson. And you're not going to get it from Penny Hart. Penny Hart is faster and quicker than what his testing numbers were coming out of Georgia State, but he is still not an elite athlete. Bo Melton and Dariq Young have those physical tools that he and Cody Thompson simply do not have. And so I'm with you. That receiver group is going to be the most competitive one when you're looking at the back half of the depth chart. But to me, it's actually those two other veterans that have played some snaps that are going to be the last two out in terms of these skill groups. The other spot that I'm very curious to see how things play out is running back because, as I mentioned earlier, the wild card in all of this, we do not know if Chris Carson is going to be able to play this year, I would think picking a running back in the second round would suggest the Seahawks don't believe that they are going to have him. Of course, Pete Carroll was not going to say that in the draft, but I thought his words were still pretty ominous when it comes to the status of Chris Carson. He's not going to be there for their offseason stuff right now. I just, I'd be surprised if he's able to play, but if he does, you have Rashad Penny, Chris Carson, Ken Walker, the third Travis Homer, DJ Dallas, and we like Josh Johnson That is a running back group that's going to be really fun to watch, even without Chris Carson. But if Carson can come back and play, that is going to be the most competitive position group on the Seahawks. Yeah, it would be. But at the same time, I also think that Chris Carson is very unlikely to be able to play. I think that there's a possibility that he is not making the training camp. You know, it would make an awful lot of sense. And by sense, I mean smarts and money that, that Seattle would be dropping Chris Carson in June um, just because that is when his contract is uh, up for a, a bonus. And so Seattle would have to at least consider that. And then if he were, if they, we know the Seahawks with Pete Carroll, they are eternal optimists. And, and Chris Chris Carson's a good football player. We certainly know that. He is in very much the heartbeat of this offense, has been since, you know, for years now. Um, but still, it, it, the fact that Seattle made that selection to Ken Walker um, in the second round, I, I think that suggests that the team, you know, not only doesn't have a great deal of confidence, that they're flat out worried that number 32 is not going to be on the field for for the Seahawks. So he is the other player who I would list here as a guy that could wind up being released if even if he makes Seattle's initial roster and goes throughout training camp, if he is not able to prove to Seattle that he is able to kind of carry the load 
then why are you bringing him on to your roster? You already have a guy who has bigger home run threat ability, clearly in Rashad Penny, as well as the guy that you just drafted. You have two backs and Travis Homer and DJ Dallas that can catch the ball out of the backfield. Look again, like we talked about before with, with KJ Wright, I'm as big of a fan of Chris Carson as it probably is in Seattle. But at the same time, he's got to be able to help your roster. And so in terms of, you know, the assignment was basically who are the three best players that Seattle might be cutting. I think that those two wide receivers I mentioned before, Kate Johnson and Aaron Fuller, in my opinion, are legitimate NFL guys. Back in the roster NFL guys, but let's still. NFL guys, Chris Carson has proven that he is an NFL guy. At the same time, I don't think that any one of those three winds up being on Seattle's roster when the season when the season begins in September. Now, let's check out the offensive line because we just threw out a bunch of names for players that are going to be battling for spots, or in the case of Chris Carson, might not be able to battle for a spot. They're going to miss out on the 53-man roster for projection right now. But I think when you look at this offensive line, it's pretty cut and dry. To me, we don't know who's going to be the starters necessarily. I mean, I anticipate Charles Cross is going to be your starter at left tackle day one. Jake Curhan is going to be ready to battle Abe Lucas at right tackle, though. Stone Forsythe, he's going to compete. Those four guys are going to be on your roster. It's just a matter of who the starters are going to be. And then at the guard positions, Gabe Jackson, Damian Lewis, I expect those are your starters again on day one. I do think Phil Haynes could make things interesting going against one of those guys, as well as he played at the end of last year. Health has been his biggest hindrance, but he was healthy last year, and he played well those last couple games. And Shamarius Gilmore, the undrafted guard out of Georgia State, he is the number three player on my just missing out list. That's how high I am on this kid coming out of Georgia State. He's got great athleticism. Moves really well. Great lateral quickness. Tons of snaps in college. Pretty good pass protector, too. Only eight sacks allowed and almost 2,000 pass blocking snaps at Georgia State. So him and Phil Haynes, I think those two are going to be battling for one roster spot. And then at center, Kyle Fuller and Dakota Shepley, those two are going to be duking it out for backup job behind Austin Blythe. I think Kyle Fuller, clearly the organization holds him in higher regard than what I do. I anticipate that they're going to be keeping him around as the backup center because he has some guard flexibility. So really, you look at that offensive line, Rob, I don't. I just think it's pretty cut and dry. The only two guys I can see here that maybe we could have a competition is Phil Haynes and Shamarius Gilmore battling for that last interior spot. Yeah, and, and I think those are both really good football players. I Frankly, I think that Dakota Shepley and Kyle Fuller um, are not – as good of players. I think that they are going to be very much more on, on the cutting edge, at least at this point. Um, you know, what I, I've seen with Shepley is that he does have some positional versatility. Um, I, I think the Haynes again is, is the better football player. Um, you know, and so I, I'm kind of curious to see how, what Seattle does at, at that position. I, I think that it's going to be fascinating because to me, this is, you know, it, there's an expression out there that you don't want to kind of lose sight of the trees. And when you're looking at the forest, kind of that idea, I, I think that if, if you look at Seattle's offensive line, the possibility you might have four new starters along the offensive line. Clearly the two tackles might be new guys. And let's, let's just presume for a moment that's Jake Curhan still. He started, what, a handful of games a year ago. Obviously, that is still going to be a very young starter um, at that right tackle position if he does, in fact, beat out Abraham Lucas or Stone Forsythe for that spot. 
you look at the guards, you look at the center, you look at the fact that you're going to have a new quarterback, and that's an awful lot of transition here. I think Seattle's offensive line, especially in the interior, is very much a roll of the dice. I, I think that that is going to be one of the more fascinating decisions here that Seattle has to make. Kudos to you, sir, for, for being willing to put your name behind some of the players that they might get cut um, because I think that the offensive line is very much up in the air at this point. And I think that the Seahawks are looking forward to this, uh, th to the preseason, to training camp, to be able to kind of whittle away what they feel about that spot. And I think one last closing thought here, because you mentioned Shepley going against Kyle Fuller and how both of them could be in trouble. If somehow, I don't know if this is going to happen, Phil Haynes, they've had chances to move him to center, and that just has never happened. Maybe they will do it this year. But Shamarius Gilmore has played a number of positions. He, I don't think he's played center, but don't put it past this kid either. He's just a good football player. So if they decide late in the offseason or even training camp, you know what, we're going to try this kid at center, then I would absolutely put my money on him to beat out Kyle Fuller or Dakota Shepley. I'm basing my thoughts right now on the fact that I'm not anticipating they're going to do that. but. You wonder if the Seahawks and even Pierre-Olivier Lestage, they might give him a chance to play center. I mean, there are some young options here, guys, that maybe they could slide over to back up Austin Blythe that could have some upside at that position. And so I'm intrigued to see what they do. Just kind of a closing thought because we don't know what Seattle is going to do in that position. Maybe Damian Lewis slides back over to center. We don't know what the Seahawks are thinking. There's a number of options there, but when you have this many new pieces – you got to see how things unfold. And I think training camp, there will be some of those questions answered and maybe some unexpected developments with that offensive line. We're going to flip to the secondary now, continuing our Inside the Seahawks draft series. And yesterday, I looked at Kobe Bryant, the Red Mamba himself, coming from Cincinnati, the Jim Thorpe Award winner, extremely polished talent coming out of Cincinnati now we're going to go with the other rookie corner who was picked in the fifth round at pick 153, Tariq Woolen, who really is the exact opposite of Kobe Bryant. He has incredible physical tools, and I've said this a number of times, and it's true. He is one of one. There has never been an athlete enter the NFL like Tariq Woolen. It's six foot four, running a 4-2-6-40, and jumping out of Lucas Oil Stadium. There just hasn't been a guy that's done that. And so he's coming into the NFL with really rare physical traits, the size, the speed, the length, but he's so raw. He's only been playing the cornerback position for two years. And when you watch the film, I'm going to be honest, and you and I talked about this during the pre-draft process, Rob, there's a lot more bad than good when you watch the film in terms of the way outcomes of plays were. And I think a lot of it just had to do with the lack of experience and needing work with technique and things of that nature. I believe that Tariq Woolen has the talent to be a very good NFL corner, but it's going to be up to this coaching staff to develop him because his ball tracking skills, he's way behind the eight ball right now. He plays with his back to the quarterback too much. He misses tackles. He leads with his head. He doesn't necessarily understand his zone dropping depth a lot of the time. I mean, it's things you would expect from a guy that has not played corner very much. And so this is going to be a true project for Pete Carroll and Carl Scott and the rest of this coaching staff. Oh, no question about it.
I mean, I would be surprised if Tariq Woolen actually sees a snap, um, you know, at the at the cornerback position as a rookie. I, I think that where he is going to be able to make his, um, you know, initial impressions and and make this roster is going to be on special teams as a gunner. Um, you know, that that elite speed, that elite length, 34-inch arms, that should allow him to be a guy that should be able to race down the field on special teams and be able to collect some tackles in that regard. That's the way that we, we've seen Seattle defensive backs have been able to kind of make their mark and, and impress Pete Carroll in the past and, and earn opportunities on defense is, is via special teams. Um, you know, and so that's what I think that Tariq Woolen is going to have to do. The single biggest thing that I have concerns about Corbin is the tackling ability. Mm -hmm. I, I see a guy who just has so much athletic ability that he can miss in his initial jam and still has the recovery speed and the height, the length to be able to leave very, very narrow windows for quarterbacks to be able to exploit that he can get shook a little bit in coverage. But again, because of his length, he's going to be able to slip his hand in there, be able to create a pass deflection, maybe spot it up for the, uh, you know, up in the air and, and see how safeties or linebackers who are kind of converging on the football should be able to kind of pick that up out of the air, be able to make an interception. And, and that's, you know, the kind of stuff that a guy that has that height and, and arm length should be able to, to take advantage of. But at the same time, to me, when everybody talks about the 32 inch arms and all of these other measurables, that we have talked about for years now, that the Seahawks prioritize the cornerback position. The single biggest thing that Pete Carroll's always prioritized is he wants corners who can tackle in the open field. And Tariq Woolen, at this point, has not shown that he is a reliable enough open field tackler to be able to get consistent playing time at that spot. So to me, that is what he has to improve upon. All of these comparisons that people want to throw out there for Richard Sherman, and I've mentioned them myself, and there's a lot of reasons to think that there that he could wind up doing that. I mean, again, former wide receiver, senior bowl standout, fifth round pick, the height, the arm length, all those things. Yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff with that that ties in with Richard Sherman. But Sherman was one of the absolutely elite tackling cornerbacks I have ever seen in my entire life, not just in Seattle, but across all of the NFL. And Woolen is not a pimple on it on, on Sherman's booty when it comes to that kind of, of play. And, and so he's got to become a lot better in, in that regard. And so that to me is again, what he needs to do. And I think that he can demonstrate that on special teams. He's going to have to demonstrate physicality. He's going to have to demonstrate heart. Two things that Richard Sherman had absolutely in spades. Yeah. And I think the physicality aspect, it, it's weird when you watch Tariq Woolen's film at UTSA, because there are plays where he comes up and blasts people. And then you'll see some plays where he just kind of nonchalantly tries to go for the tackle. You do that in a field where Pete Carroll is coaching, you're not going to be out there. Just plain and simple. He can't have plays like that. And so he is going to have to play with physicality and technique as a tackler consistently if he wants to play meaningful snaps at cornerback for the Seahawks under Pete Carroll. That, there's nothing more to it than that. I mean, that is going to be crucial for him. The tackling, he's got to make sure he takes the head out too, which the Seahawks have been very good at teaching that over the years. If Woolen is coachable, then that should be something that they can get out of. It's certainly a flaw that can be fixed. And as you mentioned, he takes away the deep ball well just because of his size and his natural speed, his athletic ability. That is one thing that he was able to do is 
slip those long arms and swat passes away. We haven't seen the interceptions, though. And as a former receiver, you were thinking that that might be something that's a strength in his game. Richard Sherman, it certainly was coming over from receiver to cornerback. But a lot of balls went right through Tariq Woolen's hands. And so, again, there's a lot of unpolished here. Struggles with tracking the football, depth concerns in his zone drops, you know, football IQ related things that are normal to struggle with when you're changing positions. And, you know, the tackling issues, there are a number of things that stand out right now that you just look at and you're thinking, if he can't clean that stuff up, it's going to be really hard for him to play snaps in the NFL. He's got the physical tools and there's obviously tantalizing plays, but I think you and I would both agree right now that reasonable expectations for this kid on day one have to be built around special teams. And maybe late in the season, he can play some snaps for you on defense. Once he's had some time to work on the technique, to work with Pete Carroll and Carl Scott, maybe he grows very quickly. And that's possible. But I think if you're going into this believing, hey, he might be like Richard Sherman, and he can play by the fourth or fifth game and be a starter I don't see any way that that happens unless we just see a once in a lifetime miraculous growth with this player. I, I just don't see it, especially with the quality corners that they have around him. He is going to have time to be able to develop properly. And I guess that's the good news for the Seahawks. They shouldn't have to rush him out there to play before he's ready. Yeah. And, and I don't want to knock, uh, you know, a, a guy who just got drafted by the Seahawks, but at the same time, if we want to talk about heart, we want to talk about physicality, then not being able to make it through the mini camp and still be able to compete all three days of practice. That's not the impression that you want to make. And again, Tariq Woolen is an unbelievable athlete. And, and, and maybe I'm going a little bit overboard here in, in suggesting that, that he kind of left the Seahawks wanting a little bit more as it, you know, his rookie in the minicamp and, and practicing one day. I mean, at least the day that I was there uh, to watch him on Saturday. I mean, he's up there in, in sweats, you know, just kind of watching practice. Look, I mean, again, you're, you're an elite athlete. The Seahawks are going to reserve every bit of opportunity for you to be able to prove what you can do. But at the same time, this was your opportunity to prove it. And, and the fact that he was unable to kind of persevere through those three days of rookie minicamp, that is that kind of wide receiver diva kind of stigma that you have to fight through. And, and so, again, I think that he has all the upside in the world. There are very few teams that I gave a higher grade to in the NFL draft process this year in the report cards I did for FoxSports.com than I did with the Seattle Seahawks. I gave him an A-. But one of the things I do have some concerns about, and I'm not the only one, some of the people in their own building have concerns about, Does is this new rookie team, do they have enough want to, enough fire, enough desire, enough just physicality and in, 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 in just mean enough? And, and I thought that uh, Tariq Woolen did not demonstrate, not prove, that he had enough of that physicality and fire in that rookie minicamp. So again, he had his first opportunity to demonstrate that and wasn't able to do so. So that to me would be one of the, the concerns I have about Seattle's very, very talented, but sushi raw cornerback. Yeah. And I don't know that I necessarily agree with you on the rookie minicamp thing, just because it's, I mean, I, I agree with you that those reps are invaluable for an incoming rookie, especially a day three guy. So we can agree on that. I think that, the Seahawks stance probably was we don't want you out there running full bore if you're dealing with a sore hamstring when it's the first week of May. 
So they probably were looking at it from that perspective. And he was partaking in their walkthroughs and was active and doing all of that other kind of stuff. And so, you know, for that, I guess for those three days, not a big deal. But I think you and I can agree there are a lot of plays on film that I was kind of left wanting more in terms of effort. And if you're doing that in Seattle for Pete Carroll, you're not going to be here very long. So that's something that's going to have to be ingrained in him once he gets back in the field, whenever that is. Hopefully the start of OTAs will be out there. And Pete Carroll and Carl Scott, the rest of the staff, can really start to hammer that home. Hey, there's a certain type of effort and a certain type of enthusiasm that we want from our players. And I think Tariq Woolen has shown on film that he's capable. There's just been a lack of consistency there. Can you find that? Can you find the technique? If you're able to couple those two things with the pure tools and athleticism that this guy has, then the sky truly is the limit for this kid. But there's a lot of boomer bust potential when you bring in a prospect like this that's so unpolished and needs refinement. We'll have to see what the Seahawks can do with him. And it's going to be probably the most fascinating player they drafted this year just because of his physical tools and just the pure upside and where he's starting at coming into the NFL. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out the Locked On Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. As always, we appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast for your second listen. The schedule may be dark this time of year, but the NFL never stops and neither does Locked On NFL. Get your insights and opinions from hosts including Ross Jackson, Chris Carter, and Tony Wiggins, plus local Locked On NFL hosts repping all 32 squads. There's no off-season for real fans, so make sure you've subscribed to Locked On NFL on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on our Thursday episode, we'll continue our 53-man roster review, looking at the defensive side of the football. And next up in our Inside the Seahawks draft, the second fifth-round pick the Seahawks made, Ohio State pass rusher Tyree Smith will be breaking down his strengths, weaknesses, and where he fits in as he begins his NFL career in Seattle. As always, thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.